Daniel chapter 6, and uh, once you find it, we'll go ahead and stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. And, you know, part of the reason I do that, you know, there is, there is um, some, uh, so there's some scriptural evidence that that's what, the old, in the Old Testament, that's what they did when they would read, script, they'd read scripture, they'd stand to read it. Um, but also, too, um, you know, sometimes uh, we don't do it as much here, and I'd like to at some point do it more, but formally just reading the scripture um, as a congregation is a very valid biblical thing to do. And, and sometimes when you stand, it just makes it feel like it's, it's more formal, it's more deliberate. And, uh, and I know legs get tired. I try not to read passages that are too long, um, but it's good for us. If you read what, what was going on in the book of Ezra and some of those at the temple, then they would stand for a long time and read the scripture. So it could be worse. And, uh, um, but, but it's a good thing for us to stand and just focus on it. Uh, when we do, and not everyone does that, and that's fine. I just let you know, reminding you why I do it. Um, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account, accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the princes of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius, I, I would put in, in, in uh, parentheses here, then King Darius, without thinking signed the, writ, the writing and the decree. You know, they go to him, they make it seem like it's something all about him and really they've got ulterior motives. You know, at this point in his life, I'll just give you some things and then we'll pray, but Daniel's very old. I, I think he's probably about 85. If you think he was 15 or so when he came into the land, it's been about 70 years um, because Darius is now reigning and, and Babylon has now been overthrown. He came as a teenager. And so he's probably about 85 and he has spent most of his life in the courts of pagan rulers. Uh, he served Nebuchadnezzar. He served very briefly under Belshazzar and, Belshazzar, and now under Darius, this Medo-Persian king. And, and although the names have changed over the years, it seems like the spiritual challenge is still the same. Will Daniel be faithful when the pressure cranks up? And you have no reason to think he won't be. 
He's proven himself. He's always been a standout. But here's what I want to get to tonight. One thing, though, about being a standout. One thing about doing things well and doing things in a way that you get blessed for and you get attention for. One thing about taking a stand means that you will have a target on your back. And in this case, Daniel's enemies decide to dig for dirt in his life. And we find his life, though, was so clean, they found nothing. Would that be true of you? If people honestly, sincerely, and truly began to look for reasons to discount your testimony, could they find them? I want to consider that tonight, digging for dirt. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for your, your people being faithful. And I thank you for the testimonies, God, how, how they do my heart well. And, and it's good for us as a church family just to hear from each other and hear how God is working. And, and I'm grateful that we can share our burdens and, and uh, just, just lay out, um, even at times, just personal things. Lord, that's what a church family is for, to be a help to each other and encourage each other. And I thank you for it. And now it's time to open the word and, and look at it. And I pray that you'd help us to learn some lessons in these next few minutes that we have together. God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts about genuine cleanness in our hearts, in our lives, in the way that Daniel had it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. At this point, Daniel, we know he's been promoted under a new regime, under the King Darius of the Medo-Persian Empire. And uh, Darius, in order to manage his kingdom, I'll do a little review. We looked at the first three verses of the chapter last time. But Darius has, has set up over the kingdom, he sets up 120 princes to be over certain regions of the country. Um, and then over those 120, maybe he, he split it up 40 and 40 and 40. He sets up these three presidents, he calls them. And these presidents are to give... Um, oversight to the 120 princes. The, the, the king uh, picked men, especially those in the prince or the president role, men that he could trust, men that he could just say, you've got these 40 men I want you to oversee. And, and one of those, those three was Daniel. And Daniel wasn't just one of the three, he was chief among the three. He, he was the highest ranking of the three. He was literally second in command in the Medo-Persian Empire. That's how much the, the king trusted him to oversee the realm. Daniel was probably chosen for a few reasons. I, I think probably uh, Darius had probably heard about uh, Daniel uh, interpreting the writing on the wall and being third in command, being placed in third in command by Belshazzar. He had no doubt heard about that because that was the night before he conquered Babylon. Uh, he had, Daniel has decades of experience in governmental courts. Uh, he has a great reputation. Everything he does, he does with all of his heart. He's very wise. He stands alone for principle. He's insightful. He can interpret dreams. I mean, it's just obvious when you look at Daniel's life that he should be the guy in a position like that. He was the cream of the cream of the crop. And the cherry on top for Daniel was his spirit. He knew the Lord, he, he walked with the Lord, he was filled with the Spirit, it impacted both what he could do and how he was with people. His primary characteristic was his Spirit. We looked at that last time. And I just wonder, could there be a better trait 
that gets mentioned about us than our spirit, our attitude, our outlook, our countenance. And what's the first thing that people think of if they're asked to list one thing about you? And that really ought to be something we consider. I would hope that my spirit would be near the top of the list and that, that my attitude, my outlook would be near the top. And if it's far down the list, then I need to work on that. But before you think having an excellent spirit is going to cancel all of your problems, actually it probably will have the opposite effect. You see, while Daniel was doing things the right way and with the right spirit, with the right attitude, he was a magnetic person that people were drawn to. At the same time, he also became a target for those he oversaw. Uh, they, they get together, the, pre, the presidents and the princes, I mean, these two guys that worked alongside of him, of the three, those two and the princes, they get together and they want to try to find a way to take Daniel down. And if you've ever been in a position where you get a little bit of attention or maybe you get a promotion at work, then you know there is a spirit of jealousy that rises in people that is just common to mankind. You know, people are people. I, I wish it wasn't this way, but this is how it works. The, uh, the Proverbs 27 or verse 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? And it's an interesting thought there because it talks about how wrath is so cruel and anger is so outrageous. But those, you can almost stand against those more than you can stand against somebody who is envious of you. Envy is a human problem. It's not just a problem with young. We sometimes think it's a young person problem, but it doesn't stop at young people. It's an issue for all of us. There's envy in workplaces, uh, people want to get ahead, and, and when someone else performs or someone gets promoted, uh, they're upset, and if someone gets special treatment, just get ready for the fireworks. And it can happen in churches as well. We should all just simply desire to serve and be content, whether we're out front or whether we're behind the scenes in the background, but people are people in churches too. We are people. We have a human nature, a sin nature, and sometimes it rears its ugly head. For Daniel, it happened in a governmental setting. He became a target because the, the people that he oversaw, they were upset that they couldn't make money on the side. In verse 2, look at this. It says, And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have, uh, sorry, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Uh, these, these 120 princes, they were all over the kingdom, and, and there was no direct oversight from the king. And so, this maybe just one guy, let's say this one guy, this one uh, prince, he would be over in this region. And he would have basically free reign in that region over the people of that region. And, and we know how human nature is. We know that people take advantage of others, especially those in positions of power. And, and so the king knew that if someone could really benefit financially by overtaxing somebody or taking advantage of the people under him or, bri or, or taking bribes or just straight up robbery. And he wanted some accountability for those that were over the regions of his kingdom. And that's where Daniel and these two other presidents came in, uh, that they would, they would provide oversight so that these princes around the country would, would cause no damage to the king. And before you think, well, that's really wise, I think probably the king just was trying to maintain control and he knew that if people get upset at what's happening, 
then, then he could have a revolution on his hands. So he's trying to maintain order, maintain unity. And, and Daniel was the chief of, of that process. He was working with these two other men, but he was really over them. And he was over the 120, really, in essence. And so they get together. They don't like the fact that they can't do things the way they want to do them. And they want to take Daniel down for it. They, they can't make extra money with a guy like Daniel around because he's a man of character. He's not going to allow things to happen. Um, and he's not going to allow just dishonest gain to take place. So I believe that's one of the reasons they targeted him. Another reason might simply be the fact that he was a Jew. I mean, they even say, why should this Israelite be promoted over us? Unless we think that anti-Semitism is a new thing. If you think it's a new thing, then you need to read history. Anti-Semitism is a historic, long-standing issue. Ever since God chose Abraham to be a nation, then those around God's people have hated them. And it's happened for thousands of years. And, and so now the Medes and Persians, they're not happy that this former Jewish slave is their boss. Now, whatever the reason for, for their decision to go after Daniel, they, they set their faces against him. And they say, we are going to find some dirt. We're going to dig until we find something. We're going to find something good. You know, this can happen to us too. And people get jealous maybe of your promotion or, or your position and someone at work may campaign. Why should he have that position? Uh, you know, I've been here longer. Why, why should she get that attention? She's getting credit for things that I should be getting credit for. I'm just as good at what I do. Unfortunately, that spirit of envy is not easily overcome. It usually turns into a targeted campaign. Verse 4, look what it says. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion or fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. They start digging. They're digging for dirt. They're hoping they can find something and cause him to lose his position. And so I'm just asking some questions tonight. If someone was to dig for dirt in your life, would they find any? What if they looked through your finances? What if they saw what you spend your money on? What would they discover if they went through your messages? Or your phone calls? And I know I'm meddling, but hey, it's right here. What if they could review your internet browsing history? What if they could see your tax returns and, and see the loopholes that aren't really there that you're finding? What if they could look at your credit card receipts? I mean, what if they could set up an audio recorder in your home and hear the way that you speak when no one's listening? What if someone could review your past relationships? What if they could print the jokes that you've told? Boy, that got heavy, didn't it? You might say, well, that's just not fair. That's an invasion of privacy. Well, yeah, it may be, but those are the links that they went to to find Daniel's dirt. I mean, they, they stopped at nothing. They weren't, they weren't ethical about it. They were going to find whatever it took. They went to links, whatever links they could to, 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 to find something about Daniel. And you know what? He withstood the scrutiny. I mean, even with a targeted campaign, they found nothing on him. Uh, they could find no occasion or fault. I mean, you think about those words, a fault is a corruption 
um, or an error or impurity. This is something negative. They found nothing negative. Not only that, they found no occasion either. They didn't even find um, a neutral matter that raised red flags. There was nothing that even created suspicion. They didn't even find one thing that made them think, I smell dirt. Not negative, not neutral, nothing. And, and then we start to get the reasons why. Because in verse 4 it says, For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. He was Because he was faithful, there was nothing to find. And too many who claim to follow Christ, we, we can look the part and we can talk the part. But if you open their closets, there's full of, it's full of skeletons. But not Daniel. Daniel was faithful and he was consistent. In public he was consistent and faithful. In private he was consistent and faithful. Daniel was the same in every situation, under every circumstance, under every regime that he served under, in every stage of life. From the time he was a teenager to the time he's 85 years old, Daniel was the same. Everything around him changed. Daniel did not. The only option they had was to find a charge against him concerning his God. Uh, so uh, we know that they said in verse 5, then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So then these presidents and princes assembled uh, together to the king and they, they, we've already read that. They said thus unto the king, King Darius, live forever. Uh, we've gotten together and, and we've come up with a plan. We really would just want to honor you for the next 30 days. And if anybody prays to any God or any man, anyone else, except for you, King Darius, then they're going to be thrown in a lion's den. What do you think of that? And of course, Darius, he's a pagan king. It, it, it appeals to his pride. He likes the fact that he's going to be honored. He's going to be respected. And no one's going to pray to anybody except for him for 30 days. You know what's interesting about this plan? They passed a law not to stop Daniel from praying, but to catch Daniel praying. Which means they knew that Daniel's testimony of faithfulness was so consistent, they weren't going to stop him from praying. So they had to resort to catch him in praying. That's how predictable Daniel was. They knew a law would not stop him from following his God. See, here's the thing. Daniel wasn't just known for what he, what he didn't do. He was also known for what he would do. See, he was so consistent that they could predict his actions. He had done something for so long and so faithfully that, that he became predictable. And a lot of times, you know, predictability, we say that that's a negative trait. But really, when it comes to God, it's a positive thing. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you as a church member, you ought to be so faithful in your place, every service, that it surprises people when you're not in your place. You know, that it, you ought to be so predictably faithful that people are shocked, like, wait, where is he tonight? He's always here. By the way, that doesn't apply to the seat that you have any, either. Okay, you ought to be able to give up your seat if somebody else sits in your seat. But it, you ought to at least be here. It's the baseline, as, as we heard from, from Jonah tonight. It's the baseline. It's the very bare minimum. That's a young man who's got his priorities right. 
You know, that he knows that I, I, the one thing I know I can do, that I may not feel like God's speaking to me, and I may not really feel like my Bible reading is all that profitable, and maybe I, my prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling. But one thing I know is I can be at church every time the doors are open. And you see how God has changed things around for Jonah. Because he just did what he knew he should do. Be so consistent and so faithful that people can predict that you will continue to be that way. And you say, well, it got Daniel in trouble. But that doesn't mean that we should stop being predictable. And we should stop being faithful. See, Daniel was so consistent. They predicted his actions. We know his life was clean. There was a long list of things that, that he was never going to do. There's a long list of boundaries that he had set and limitations. And, and since the time he was young, he refused to compromise on his principles. He, was this, he said, this is who I am. I will not change these things. And they knew that about him. They knew where he stood. In, in other words, they could not tempt him to sin. They didn't even try that. I mean, think about it. If you're going to take a man down, most men, you could take a man down by sending a pretty lady his way. But here's Daniel, and he's so above those kinds of things. They're like, we're not even going to try to tempt him to sin. We're going to find an occasion against him that has something to do with his God, because that's the one thing that we know he won't change. That's the one area that he's going to be consistent. They couldn't tempt him to sin. They couldn't catch him doing wrong. So they had to catch him doing something right. He had determined that he would pray faithfully. He wasn't going to stop, and they caught him doing it. Here's my question tonight. If someone around you wants to discount your testimony, could they find a valid reason? See, let's be honest. There are plenty of people targeting Christians. I heard, and maybe you saw the headline, somebody on MSNBC, which I, by the way, I have blocked. We, don't, we can't even watch that channel at our house. MSNBC, they're talking about Christian nationalism. I don't know if you saw this. There's this person on MSNBC saying Christian nationalism is the greatest danger to our country, especially those that believe we get our rights from God, which if she would read the Constitution, she would know that's in the Constitution. But here she is saying that that's the greatest danger. In our, and listen, and you, if you think that's the outlier, that's becoming the mainstream um, thought process. That Christian nationalism is our biggest problem. And if you're a Christian in this culture, you are either now or you will be at some point a target. Because you represent what, what the lost ought to be. You represent the life they ought to live. And you represent, your, in your, your presence in the office or in the classroom is convicting just because you're there. If someone starts digging, what dirt are they going to find in your life? Is there something secret? Could something that you've posted come back to haunt you? Could something that you've liked on social media, if you're on social media, something that you've commented on, and you say, well, that'll never happen. No, jobs are starting to look at those things now. When they're hiring people, they're going back and they're looking at their social media and internet history and finding what they've put online, and, and they're deciding whether or not to hire somebody based on those things. And if anyone ought to be above reproach, if there ought to be a group of people that you couldn't find something on social media that would be considered, um, that would be considered distasteful or wrong or critical, it should be God's people. We ought to have a testimony, um, uh, even online in our online presence, and even with each other when people are talking about us, we ought to have such a testimony that people think, I can't think of anything 
that would be considered dirt in their life. I mean, what a great testimony if God's people would have no dirt. And I'm not just talking about public perception. I'm talking about private practices. Because it's one thing, listen, if you are, if you are clean and present a certain picture only in public, I mean, how is that different than being a Pharisee? We serve a holy God, and he's holy when we're at home, and he's holy when we're at church. And our private life ought to match up with our public perceptions. There ought to be no occasion or fault in us that would reproach his name in private or in public. Amen. And I don't mean, by the way, I don't mean we have to be perfect. But what you are during the week reflects the God you worship on Sundays. And the longer I, you know, pastor, the, the, the more I become aware. I mean, there are things in people's lives that, that aren't a very reflective of a holy God. And I'm not just talking about standards, although those, we ought to, that deserves some consideration. I mean, how does holiness, what does it look like in our lives? There have to be some applications. How else do you apply holiness? But holiness is not just a Sunday thought. We're to be holy because our Father is holy. Not just because we're in church. Now, people aren't likely to find dirt in your life on a Sunday. But could they find it on a Monday? At work, maybe, with the words we speak, is there dirt? At home, with the attitudes that we display, is there dirt? Out and about, with the kinds of activities we engage in, is there dirt? Is there something that would hurt our testimony for Christ? And I'm not talking about perfection. Please be balanced here tonight. I'm not talking about being perfect None of us are perfect. Thank the Lord that our past is under the blood. Amen? Amen. I'm talking about things in our lives that we know shouldn't be there. But we cover up and we just move on. Dirt. Sin. Something unbecoming to holiness. Something that doesn't reflect your holy God. So I'm asking tonight, do you have dirt in your life? Does it bother you? Because our impact as Eastside Baptist Church is not just about what we do or about what we don't do. A lot of times we define ourselves, well, here's what we do as a church, here's what we don't do as a church. No, our, our, our identity, really, who we're supposed to be, is more about who we are Amen. and less about what we do. Yeah. If we are who we're supposed to, to be, we'll do what we're supposed to do. Amen. But, if we, but if who we are doesn't line up with who we say, what, with who we, say we are, it will injure our testimony. It will lessen our impact. Let me just give you some applications here tonight. We do a lot of things. We do. We have three services a week. And a lot of churches, you know, I mean, that's, that's becoming more rare these days to have three services. And really four if you count Sunday school. And I count men's prayer meeting. So five. Man, we're just adding services. All of the Monday nights, right? I mean, Shelby. We have a lot of services. We have activities. We have fellowship. Um, I love our music. I love the song the choir sang tonight. Uh, we have a lot of kiddos running around. We've got young people. It's a blessing. We preach the Bible. People respond. We're grateful for that. We have children's ministries. We have buses. We have a VBS. And, and have, we have over 100 kids this year. And it's a blessing. And uh, it's just been great. We have a great group of men every Sunday morning. And, and I, could, I could talk about those things. And, and we could almost, you know, start popping the collar. We also don't, don't do a lot of things. You know, we're conservative and there's things that we as, as conservatives that we don't do. And sometimes we can pride ourselves on things we don't do. You know, that independent Baptist philosophy, I'm just against everything, you know. 
I'm not, I'm not saying that's right. That can happen, though. I mean, as a church, there are things we don't do. We don't embrace all the trends because we believe that if you just preach and teach God's worth faithfully, that you can build a church that way. We have stands that others may see as outdated, and we use the King James Bible, and my reason is because I believe it's God's word, and I believe it's proven, and we don't have a reason to change it. That's, I know that's not popular, and, and, and sometimes we can you know, take a stand and be like, this is what we don't do. We're not changing this. We don't, we don't feel like we have to change our music. We don't feel like we have to change things to build a church. There's a lot of things we don't do, but we have to be careful, okay? I'm trying to be balanced here tonight. There are a lot of things we do. There are a lot of things that we don't do, but that is never our identity. That's a reflection of our identity. See, the most important decision or definition is not, here's what we do and here's what we don't do. No, our most important identity is this. Here's how closely our lives reflect the holiness of our Father. That's who we are. How holy then are we? I didn't ask... What are we, how much do we do? I asked, how holy are we? How hard would someone have to look to find dirt in our lives? Because we ought to strive to live in such a way that the only thing that we could be accused of is being too committed to our relationship with God. That's the only thing they could find on Daniel. Would that be true of your life? The world wants to find dirt. I mean, I mean, we are in a position in our culture where Christianity is being targeted. They would love nothing more than to discredit God's people. Not only that, the devil, the devil is an accuser of the brethren. We saw what he did to Job to try to bring Job down. He wanted to find something in Job and couldn't find it. So, so God allowed him to go after Job's family and Job's things. And, and, and Satan wants to pick you apart and he wants to find fault. And he's very good at finding dirt because that's what his whole existence is about is the dirt. But listen, those are not the most important reasons to stay clean. Yeah, we want to stay clean because we, have, we want to have a good testimony. And we want to stay clean because the devil is, is trying to accuse us. And, and we don't want to have anything in our lives that could be used against us. But those are not the most important reasons to stay clean. You see, our most important life inspection is coming. Maybe soon. And Peter, referring to things to come, said in 2 Peter 3, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, the prophecy, the things coming, he said, Be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless, without dirt. Because our most important inspection is coming. And as much as I want to have a good testimony with the people around me, they're not the ones I ultimately answer to. And as much as I want Satan to have nothing to accuse this brother of, um, he's not my life motivation. No, my life motivation for staying clean is because I have a holy father. And one day he will be the one I answer to. He will come and he will inspect my life. And like Peter said, I want to be at peace with God. I want to be without spot before God. And I want to be blameless before God. Daniel's motivation for staying clean was not so that his enemies could find no dirt. No, his motivation was he wanted to please his God. And that's how it ought to be for us too. No dirt, nothing hidden, no spots, no testimony ruiners, 
just clean and holy and ready for inspection. I'm just wondering tonight, does that describe your life? Are you ready for that inspection or is there dirt? Is there something in your life that shouldn't be there? I know it's a simple thought, but as God's people who reflect a father who is holy, we ought to get right. We ought to make sure that we confess the things in our lives that don't reflect a holy father. Now, is that going to make our lives easy? It didn't for Daniel. But what it does for Daniel, we'll find this out next time, is it put him in a position to bring glory to God that we're still talking about thousands of years later. And if you will live a life that is blameless, without spot, without the dirt, not for the people around you, not because the devil's coming after you, because you serve a holy God who you ought to reflect, and one day he'll inspect your life. If you do it out of motivation and love for him, you will find, I believe, opportunities to glorify God in ways that you never thought possible. Amen. Why? Because you were clean. Yeah. Because you were without dirt. And I want to encourage you tonight, if there's any dirt in our lives, not because people might find it, teens, not because your parents might come and find it, but because you have a holy father who your life is supposed to reflect and one day you'll answer to him. That should be our motivation. Is that your motivation tonight? Is there dirt in your life? Maybe it's time to get some of that clean. Let's stand together. It would be good to confess our sins before the Lord. There's something in our heart, an attitude, some kind of a, some kind of an attitude or, or, or maybe a pattern of speech, a thought process, some actions that you've taken, um, maybe things that you've said to somebody else or things you've thought about somebody else. I don't know, whatever the application is, there's probably a lot of ways that we could apply this tonight. Would you be willing to do business with the Lord about being clean, not to, not to please other people, not to stay to keep the devil away from you, but because you have a holy father? Would you be willing to confess that sin tonight? Maybe just work on, on, on making it right with him. And, and enjoying the forgiveness he provides. And then living a life like Daniel from here on out. Where if people were to come try to find something, they couldn't. Because your life is clean.